Thank you, wifey. It's always good to come and preach after wifey sings. I get a little jolt. No, no, she wanted a kiss for this service too. Okay. Yeah, yeah, amen. Yes, that is my that is my wife. So it, it, it's not I'm not proving worldliness in the sanctuary. But no, that's Deborah. That's Deborah Biddle, my wife. Good to have my son Jared here with some friends. Good to see you, Jared. Um, uh, this is the third week of Advent. Advent is the time of year when we uh, celebrate Jesus's coming. And what we've done uh, with this series is to show. Uh, when Jesus comes to the world, he deals with our worldliness. He deals with our, our sinfulness, our fascination on the stuff of the world and not a heart for God. And uh, in this morning's passage, we're going to see how he turns the, the life of the Samaritan woman upside down. So let's go ahead and jump right on in. To that proximity, power, and proclamation, John 4, verses 1 through 30. I'm going to read uh, those first 30 verses uh, starting on page 1618. And while you're turning, I'm going to go grab my water right over here. 1618. John. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 30. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but it was his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. 
Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Now God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Today I want to speak on this main proposition. Proximity, power, and proclamation produce new life and freedom. Proximity, power, and proclamation produce new life and freedom. Now I want to just take a couple of minutes to unpack this. It is kind of full in terms of a statement. Proximity, in order to lead someone to Christ, you got to get close to them. That's kind of why I like what the campus ministries are doing here and across campuses all over, international. I mean, they, they recognize that, that if they're going to lead anybody to Jesus, they got to get to know them, they got to get in close proximity in order so that, so, so that there can be a, a good motto and that they can share their faith. You got to have proximity. Secondly, there's got to be power. There's got to be some sense that God's presence is at play and that God is working around them. There's got to be a display of, of God's authentic power that happens. Thirdly, there's gotta be a clear proclamation of the gospel. It's gotta be clearly articulated. Who is Jesus? Who is man? What about this thing of sin? And what happens in the new life? There's gotta be a clear articulation of the gospel. And when those three things work together, when God uses proximity, these days us, sharing our, our faith with people, our neighbors and friends and family and so, and so forth. And he backs it up, he confirms it with his own power and with a clear message, these are the things that God uses to draw people to new life in Christ. And with that new life, there is a freedom. There's a freedom that the Samaritan woman has that she did not have before she met Jesus. And she doesn't take long before she uses that freedom to tell everybody she knows about Christ. So that's the summary. Let's get into the details of this. Proximity, power, and proclamation produce the new life and freedom. Proximity facilitates fellowship in Christ that destroys cultural barriers. Now Jesus had to go through Samaria to confront the smoldering enmity between the Jews and the Samaritans. I'll talk about the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans. Real quickly, this is a map. Jesus would have been down at the bottom 
I don't think my pointer is quite working. So you'll see Judea on the left side. He needed to go from Judea to his home territory of Galilee. It's really a straight shot if, if, if you look at the map. But because there was a history of contention between the Samaritans and the Jews, what the average Jew would do was they would go around Samaria through those plains up into Galilee because they didn't want anything to do with the Samaritans. Here's why. In about 722, uh, the northern kingdom was taken over by the Assyrians and the Assyrians took the Jewish people into their country and they put in idolaters. And in 532, when the southern kingdom of Judah came back to reestablish their, their kingdom, um, they found these idolaters there. And they began to move northward. There was a, a religion that was blended. It wasn't quite Judaism and it wasn't quite idolatry. It was something in between. And that started this kind of period. And so the pure Jews just didn't want anything to do with foreigners. It was against the law for a Jew to cavort with a, a Samaritan, especially a Samaritan uh, woman. In fact, J Jewish men would never in broad daylight without a man present have a conversation with a woman. So that's the hist history of hostility that, that Jesus has to deal with here. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, who it is that, and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He would have given you the Holy Spirit. He would have given you the ability to know God and to be in fellowship with God. Um, Samaritan woman, I understand you would like to have a, a water without having to go to a well. You would like to have a man who would treat you well, right? We, we, all of us have these natural needs and concerns. Uh, and most of us dis discount what our soul needs. Our soul needs the living God. This Christmas, our soul needs a real sense of peace that things are going to be all right even if they don't look all right outside. Our soul needs to, to, uh, to have the love of Christ. Our soul needs to have legitimate fellowship with people that you can depend on. Our soul needs to experience real authentic joy. What good if you can have uh, everything if, uh, but, but, but still not have your soul satisfied. If you had the whole world but still would lose your soul. What good would it be? And so Jesus looks at this woman and he says, I need, you need to know God. You need to be in relationship with me. You need to have the blessing that that gives right now and also into eternity. And look what he says to her. He, he, this is the interesting thing. He does not say to this Samaritan woman, you need to become a Jew. And he does not say to the Jews, you need to become Samaritans. He does, he creates a new covenant. John 41 through 21 through 23. The woman has, uh, when Jesus confronted her with sin, she did a little diversion. 
a theological diversion. Let's talk about worship instead. We worship on this mountain historically. You worship in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain where you historically have worshiped or in Jerusalem where the temple is. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. You don't know Yahweh. You don't, you don't understand the covenants. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. Salvation does come from, from the family of Abraham, from the seed of David. Salvation comes from Israel. For, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Holy Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. You see that God, Jesus has ushered in and he has set aside the law. And he has said, you're no longer gonna think you're, right, you're righteous based on your performance. And, uh, and for, for others who don't know God, he's saying to them, uh, you can't make up uh, uh, salvation and righteousness for yourself. No, you've gotta change Jews, you've gotta change, you've gotta believe in Jesus Christ. You've gotta re repent of your sins. You've gotta receive the Holy Spirit, right? And in fact, everybody, Jew and Gentile, is going to be a new body in Christ Jesus. So he's ushering in a new life. And in this new way of life, he's breaking down the historical cultural barriers. You can read about that in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. He's breaking down the historical cultural barriers. So life in the Spirit of God is to break down the barriers to unity that are created by our cultural preferences and interests, but I sometimes wonder if in the church it has um, our life in Christ, the Word of God and the Spirit of God and the fellowship of the saints has produced in us the, the, the unified us across our divide in the way that Jesus intended. I sometimes wonder about it and when I think about things like at our church here at High Point, I see some really good positive signs that cultural barriers are being broken down. And I, I was thinking about this a lot because of this text. And so I took some time to write some things down that I see as a person of color who's been at High Point about 12 years. Some positive things. I was talking to Pastor Vince about what's going on in the youth ministry with his Awanabs ministry. The Church of Restoration and Life, a Latino church, 20 of their students now come on Thursdays and three or four of their volunteers come to help. And so we have our High Point people as well as this church now fellowship, learning Jesus, loving each other together. I'm told there's also a, a good a group of international Chinese people who come and who bring their kids to Awana. And I'm told there's an university ministry. Terrell Smith from our church has had a Bible study to help bridge the gospel gap between them. And if you go look into the youth ministry these days, you'll be shocked at how many children, of, well, you saw it today on display. A wide variety of students and people that are blending and learning together. I think that is a real positive sign. We, as a church, have said that we are a multicultural church, that the gospel brings us together, and we, and we look for, for ways to contextualize. And so you have a, a minister like me, who doesn't preach like Nick, louder, 
sometimes jumping around, I'm not gonna jump to Dave Martin, maybe, maybe, I don't know, I don't know. Sometimes a little bit more uh, exuberant, a different style. And, uh, but you are, you are beginning to learn how to embrace my style. It was, it's, it's funny, from time to time, I'll get, after services, I'll get a message from people like this. They'll be like, uh, uh, Lloyd, uh, I, wanted, I wanted to say amen to you today. I just couldn't, I really just couldn't do it. I, I, I was a little bit kind of nervous, right? And I was like, all right, just free yourself up, man. Just free yourself up. I had to free myself up to sing some of those CCM songs that we sing. I've got to free myself up to embrace some of that stuff. Come on now. So when the cultures are broken down, we move towards each other. And we learn how to embrace each other's styles. In fact, the way the scripture puts this in Colossians, Philippians chapter two, is it says that I look after your interests and you look after mine. That's how we, that's how the gospel has broken things down. That's how we learn to love each other despite we have real cultural differences. And this was a woman. And so Jesus breaks through gender bias as well. As well. It, it was unconventional for him to talk to this woman. Jesus didn't care about that. He wanted a relationship with her. He had to go to Samaria to see this woman. And she had some sin problems. Well, he had, when he came looking for me, he had to deal with my sin problems, my insecurities, my failures, my sexual indiscretions in college. He had to go through all of that just to get to me, just to bring me into the kingdom of God, just to draw me to repentance and faith. Aren't you glad that Jesus had to go looking for you? So he breaks down these barriers. And I think we're doing some good things at High Point, breaking down barriers. We got a little bit more ways to go. So that more and more people can experience the love and fellowship of people that know no difference between Jew and Gentile, between slave and free. So the first point is uh, proximity facilitates fellowship in Christ that destroys cultural barrier. Sometimes I will talk to some of our campers ministers that are supported missionaries and they tell me right now on our campus in 2017 they see a lot of cultural barriers. They feel like there needs to be some gospel transformation and we need to be a part of that by moving outward and having people move towards us. We gotta, we gotta move and the others have to move. And then that's how we can break these things down. But we can't, we can't break these things down if we stay where we are doing what we've done. Power authenticates God's message. John 4, 16 through 19. Jesus told her, he wants to give her this living water. Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. God's power will convict people of sin. When people hear God's word delivered by God's person, Sometimes over the, the airwaves and in person, God's power will convict of sin. You don't have to needle them. 
You just need to make sure the truth is made present. God's power will convince people of truth. That you uh, will know the scripture of Christ if you're a Christian, will, lives in your heart. And even if you, if you are a non-Christian, God has a way through his proclamation, through proximity, through the Holy Spirit. He has a way, little by little, of convincing you of the truth of his word. He's got power. He converts the non-Christian. Anyone who's ever come to Jesus, it's been because of the power of, of God has allowed us to repent and believe. That's, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. Now, he might use you or me or the airwaves, but it ultimately, it's a sign of God's power that does that. And I want to say to you that amongst us in our church, I took some notes on myself, I have seen God's power at work among us. Last Sunday, we were here. We had, I don't know how many kids, new kids. Most of them were people moved to Madison. They chose to join joined High Point. Some of them weren't Christian. They became Christians. They met someone here. They got married. They had children. They are endeavoring to have families in Christ Jesus. They want to see the gospel mirrored in their marriages. I want to tell you that's power. That's, that's power. Not, not all churches here in Madison are seeing that kind of thing. Many young people coming, marrying, and, and growing in Christ, that's not, that's not a common thing. There's power amongst our elders. I've been on the elder board for seven years. Here's how the power has worked. An uncommon amount of humility, a willingness to yield, a desire to put Jesus over themselves, a willingness to serve other people. I've seen power amongst the elders. I've seen power in the preaching. Uh, you, you can't tell me that through substance you haven't seen the power of God changing how you think about growing in God, making it possible. I think I can do that. I think I can confess my sins. I think I can take on this new discipline. I think I can grow in him, changing us, power, through the preaching. And not just Nick, through Vince and even through me and through, through the president of InterVarsity and, and, and through Mike and, th and th because it's, it's the word that has the power, the messenger is just a servant. Come on, talk with me. That's power that God deploys in order to, to build his kingdom. And I like his power because it doesn't depend on me. I don't have to be on for God to do what he's going to do. Neither do you tomorrow when you go at your work. You can show up, devote yourself, and see God work among you. God is moving in our midst as a church. I want to ask you this question. If you, are, if you know Christ, have you seen his power working in your life? Changes in the way that you think fruit in your ministry, power. God's power always confirms his message. So proximity facilitates fellowship and breaks down cultural barriers. Power authenticates God's message. It proves that he is real. And lastly, proclamation explains how to receive the new life. I want to compare the core message that this woman, this Samaritan woman receives compared to the, the core message that Nicodemus received in chapter three. I preached that two weeks ago. 
I want to say to you that it's a very similar message. Let's look at it real briefly. The Samaritan woman, she hears that she must receive living water, that she must receive the Holy Spirit. She must bring her sins out in the open. A lot of times uh, when, um, over my life, when I've seen God trying to bring my sins out into the open, I haven't seen it as grace. But because of what he wants me to experience, joy and peace and life in him, because he wants me to experience more of his blessing, it is grace. He tells this woman that her sins must come out of the darkness and into the light so that they can be forgiven and so that he can give her eternal life. Thirdly, she must worship in the spirit and in truth that out of this spiritual relationship and in understanding of the truth of the gospel is how worship is to happen. There is no worship when our theology is out of whack. And there is no worship if we are not converted, if we have not received Christ. No, no worship there. How about Nicodemus? He tells Nicodemus, you must be born of the Spirit. Very similar. He tells Nicodemus, uh, just, like, uh, Abraham, just like Moses put the serpent in the sky, and anybody who looked on the, the, at the serpent... Even though they were bitten by the snake, they would live. He said, he said, there has to be forgiveness of sins. Thirdly, he must walk in the light, that is, walk in the truth and not in darkness. A very similar message. The gospel comes down to some basic fundamentals. Here they are. Gospel proclamation. God is sovereign. He is the creator. We are his prime creation, made in his image, but intentionally rebellious. God is creator, we are his prized creation, but we choose not to obey him. Thirdly, Jesus is our savior. It's his death that allows God to reconcile us to man. Jesus is our savior. Fourthly, repentance and, and faith is our response. We can't do any work to be saved, but we must respond with repentance, yes. I recognize I've turned away from God. And faith, faith in Jesus Christ, faith in the Father, faith in the work of the Holy Spirit. Repentance and faith is the right response. And lastly, we are to commit ourselves to a life of godliness, to a life of substance. This is the basics of the gospel. Anytime when we proclaim it, these are the fundamentals that we want to proclaim to other people. So once we have the, the three Ps down, what does this produce in this woman? It produces in her freedom that enables her to join Jesus in his work. Let's look at this. In John four twenty-five. After Jesus explains to her that true worshipers must worship in the spirit and truth, the woman says to Jesus, I know that the Messiah, the son of David, promised to live on the throne of David for eternity, that he will come, he will explain all this to us. And Jesus said, I've already done that. I'm here and I've already explained it. And immediately she is born again. Through the proximity, through the power, 
and through the proclamation, immediately she receives God. And then it's, it's, it's kind of interesting how this works. She doesn't go into a discipleship class with Mark to learn how to study the scriptures. She doesn't go into one of my classes. She immediately goes and tells people what she knows. Come, she says, and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the promised eternal king, son of David, the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way towards him. Uh, and the, what, what's so interesting about this is that this woman, she doesn't know anything. If you've been a Christian about six months, you've got a better understanding than the gospel. But what she does have is a great appreciation for what God has done for her. She is overwhelmed by the grace of God, which broke through these cultural barriers, which broke through these gender barriers, which ushered her into a, 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 a personal relationship with God. And, and she, she will soon found out a community of believers. And she's overwhelmed that the Messiah would come to see her. And she says, hey, I wanna share this blessing with everyone. And I'm telling you, this has happened to me, uh, even this week. You know, so lately these days, uh, there's been a, a, a focus on the objectification of women in, in terms of sexuality. And I don't have to talk to you much about it. Politicians and media personalities uh, abusing, uh, reports of abusing women at work. It seems to be rampant, right? And uh, as a pastor, I'm trying to figure out, okay, I need to get... Um, informed on this issue, and then I need to share that with, with folks. And so there's an organization called Q. Uh, Q is for questions. And what they do is they're, they're focused on the, the ordinary Christian, giving them resources so they can live a more godly life in the marketplace, in the workplace, in the neighborhood. That's what Q does. And Q sent out uh, some videos this week, really short videos that you ought to watch. Christian or non-Christian, they will get you thinking about how heinous it is for people in power to take advantage of women and how it dehumanizes the perpetrator as well as the perpetrated. It dehumanizes the person who does it. And so Kim Biddle, she's not really my sister, but she is my sister. She's not really my sister by, uh, by blood, but she is my sister in Christ, amen? And then Jefferson Bethke. Uh, talk about this. And so I was so excited about this. Immediately when I saw I, I sent it to my wife. And then after that, I saw, I took uh, my son Jared to, to a, a doctor's appointment. I said, Jared, I need to send you these videos. I'm not sure if I sent them. I said, Jared, I need to send you these videos. And then I sent them to the staff. And then I sent them, to, I mean, it, anybody, I was on fire. I felt like everybody could benefit from these videos. And what I'm trying to say to you is that this is the kind of excitement this woman had about Jesus. She didn't have perfect knowledge, but she could tell people what she knew. Now the question is, where can a person go these days to meet Jesus? That's what I wanna talk about now. Well, you, we know that the scripture says that where two or more Christians in whom the Spirit of God resides come together in fellowship there Jesus is with us. And so, of course, they can come to church. And they not only can hear the gospel explained as best as a pastor can explain it, that's what I'm doing right now, but they also can fellowship with you around coffee. They can go to lunch with you. They can join our different fellowships. 
and they can see God working among us. That's the first place that they can go to, to see Jesus. Then they can go to a small group. And sometimes I'll hear people say, well, I really wasn't trained in discipleship. Well, you know how you came to Jesus. And you know how a few testimonies of other friends came to Jesus. When they show up in the small group, we'll just share them that. And really, you know what? They're not going to be so much listening to what you have to say anyway. They're going to be more looking at how it is that you live. They're going to be looking for authentic love, forgiveness, peace. I'm trying to say that when we come together in fellowship, we can invite people in and Jesus is with us. Now, if you've ever been to a men's ministry or a women's ministry, I can tell you Jesus is there. Because some people are studying the Bible. Some people want a deeper understanding of, of Christ and how it applies to, in their lives. I'm telling you, if it's a men's or a women's ministry function, you can, you can find Jesus there. And here's the thing. Wherever one of us who have been redeemed who have been changed by Christ. Wherever a, a Christian resides, there is Jesus. And so one of the reasons why Pastor Nick's been calling us to godliness and growth in Christ is so that we can be ready with the proper word and with a model lifestyle so people can see Jesus in ourselves individually. Let me close now. Proximity, power, and proclamation produce new life and freedom. And I just want to share with you uh, this last idea. Now, if the Samaritan woman, with her limited theological understanding and her checkered past, can go and tell her community, what she knows about Jesus. And if our young people, age five to 12 or so, can give testimonies on video about what they love about Jesus, then certainly those of us who's been walking with Christ a little bit longer and with a little bit more maturity can share what we know about Jesus, invite him into our community and see what God might do in terms of transforming their lives. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we know that, um, that your methods outlined in your scripture are powerful. Uh, we know from Matthew chapter 28 that you have sent us out to make disciples, but what you said is that you'll be with us always, even to the ends of the earth. And so, Father, let us not be at all intimidated um, to share ourselves, our lives, and what we know with our neighbors, our friends about Jesus. Let us recognize that your power will authenticate our message, that your power will come alongside our life. And, and let us constantly just be paying attention to the basics of the, 
the message and not be uh, intimidated to share the fundamentals of how a person comes to faith. Father, let us not be ashamed of sharing our own testimony with others because you are wonderful, you are amazing. What you've done for us in establishing your fellowship with, with us, what you've done for us in bringing us in community with each other, despite our differences of gender and culture, what you've done for us is amazing. And we love you. Bless your people today. In Christ's name I pray, amen.